This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss broadly healthcare insurance coverage in the U.S. with American Health Insurance Plan's President and CEO, Mr. Matt Isles. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, David. Matt or Mr. Isles' bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, despite the ACA lowering the percent of uninsured Americans from 44 to 27 million, health insurance coverage in the U.S. remains fraught with problems. First, in 2017, approximately 28 million, or 15% of the non-Medicare population, was uninsured. Healthcare spending, as has been exhaustively documented, is to be direct excessive. Healthcare costs in the U.S. are the most expensive worldwide in absolute terms and relative to average incomes. This despite the fact that Americans consume no more or fewer healthcare resources than our comparative peers. In 2007, healthcare was 18% of the GDP, or nearly $11,000 per capita, 27% more than Switzerland, the next most expensive, and more than twice Japan, France, and Canada, all under $5,000 per capita. Today, the average family of four premium in 2018 was nearly $20,000, or almost one-third of the median household income. Spending is therefore largely explained by prices, for example, while Medicare spending per capita decreased by 1.2% between 07 and 14, in the private insurance market it increased during the same time period by almost 17%. Rising drug prices also that account for 17% of all national spending are two times as much as what other comparative countries spend. Americans also pay substantial health care administrative costs that equaled $260 billion in 2017, or four times the average of other developed countries. Relative to outcomes, our life expectancy at birth that has declined over the past three years uh, is exceeded uh, by 79 countries, and per a recent Bloomberg Health Efficiency Study, the U.S. ranked 54th out of 56 countries. Hong Kong, Singapore, and Spain were first through third, and the bottom four were Serbia, Russia, Azerbaijan and the U.S. With me again to discuss the U.S. healthcare insurance market is AHIP President and CEO Matt Isle. So Matt, apologies for a more lengthy background or introduction. Let me start with a straightforward question. Is healthcare a right or a privilege? Hmm. Well, I think in the United States uh, right now it is uh, a privilege. It's not, uh, you know, always that people have insurance coverage uh, to be able to afford what they need. Um, but I think there's an important debate that's going on in the United States right now. And I think we see that playing out, you know, in the, in the political uh, discussion. I mean, I should be pretty clear that, you know, AHIP and our members believe that all Americans should have access to affordable, comprehensive health insurance coverage. And, you know, the challenge in the United States is without coverage, it's often really difficult to um, access care just because of some of the economic and financial issues that, that you mentioned, David. We do have a problem with price in the United States. 
our unit prices are much higher than what we see in other countries around the world. Um, we use about the same quantity of healthcare as other countries, um, but we certainly are paying higher prices than others. So, um, yeah, but not, it's not all doom and gloom. I think, you know, there are some, you know, bright spots within uh, the American healthcare system in terms of the transformation we're undergoing and what we're seeing in, in certain coverage markets, whether it be the employer market, Medicare Advantage, uh, Medicaid managed care, and we have seen the number of uninsured declines. So um, we have plenty of challenges that need to be addressed and fixed to make it a easier, simpler, more affordable system. Um, but we think it's important to build on what we have uh, rather than try and sort of start over and, uh, and build an entirely different system. Okay, thank you. I will, on the unaffordability, make note that about 45-6% of Americans who are uninsured say that they are so because of affordability or unaffordability. I was going to ask the follow-up relative uh, to your uh, answer. Uh, so in context of your answer, it makes sense that, and correct me if I'm wrong, AHIP did take a position in the current Texas versus Azar. You did uh, file, correct me if I'm wrong again, an amicus brief, correct? We did. Yep. Okay. Great. We did. We did it basically in support of the of the um, the position taken by the Democratic attorneys general that the that the case um, that that the issue in question with the mandate should be severable and that the entire case or the entire law should not be overturned um, for many reasons, including it just being totally disruptive to the entire healthcare system and way beyond the scope of what we think possibly could have been intended. Right. So just to be clear, the Congress overturned the tax uh, relative to the individual mandate and the uh, judge ruled that without the tax, the rest of the law cannot stand. Let me go to uh, some major themes here. Uh, the first, of course, uh, probably first, of course, is competition. You're probably well aware of HHI, Herfindahl-Hirschhorn index scores relative to market consolidation. HHI scores show insurance markets in 73% of the 380 MSAs were highly concentrated. Uh, and in fact, in 46 of these metropolitan statistical areas, a single insurer's market share was at least 50%. The administration had a December document out reforming America's health care system. Uh, however, it reaffirmed the fact that the Republican Party, uh, consistent with its view over the last several decades, does not have much appetite for antitrust enforcement. So absent that, and I think everyone's view that the market could and should be more competitive, what's your view relative to market competition or trying to actually improve market competition? Sure. I, I think as an industry, we support, you know, greater competition. And, and to the extent that you're seeing more limited competition on the insurer side, it's really important to look at what's happening on the healthcare provider side. Um, and with, you know, significant consolidation within among health systems, uh, acquiring uh, physician practices. And, and it's really important to look at it in a broader context to the extent that there are markets where you see uh, some of these higher uh, concentrations, it's really a challenge of, uh, of, of geography, of access to providers. It's, it's not necessarily uh, because other insurers don't want to be there. Uh, you really need to look at, for example, you know, are, is it an urban market that we're talking about? Is it a suburban market? Is it a rural market? And, and how are we looking at these? 
um, because in, in some cases um, there may be more limited competition, but um, in others there, there's a lot. And it's, it's really a balance that we need to look across the entire system about how insurers uh, are operating uh, relative to what's happening on the provider side. That's really an important piece. Okay, thank you. You probably know, certainly not at the federal level, but at the state level, there's a lot of activity relative to trying to um, police or mitigate the lack of competition. I'll just make note of uh, Massachusetts. Last fall, uh, the state approved a merger between Beth Israel Deaconess and Leahy Health System that um, the, the merger was approved conditional upon uh, the merged entity accepting a seven-year price cap. States are doing other related things. What's your general sense of state activities uh, from the insurer's perspective? Well, you know, states are very active uh, on the insurance side, and I think it's important for people to remember that for um, fully insured markets, uh, that states really still are the primary source of insurance regulation. Um, the Affordable Care Act, uh, you know, brought in certainly a, a greater federal overlay with respect to insurance markets. Um, and, you know, the self-insured markets from those largest employers um, aren't governed by state law. But what we've seen from states is ways that they're trying to, you know, look at uh, competition, to look at um, what's happening from a rate and a cost perspective. Um, but also, how do they make sure that we have affordable access to different uh, coverage options and states have been you know, some of the more at some of the more cutting edge places with respect to change and, and innovation and trying to find ways, um, particularly within the Affordable Care Act, to make sure that uh, their state residents have access to more affordable uh, coverage products uh, through the so-called Section 1332 waivers. Correct. Innovation waivers. Uh, we we see you know states putting forward reinsurance uh, proposals and other uh, novel concepts to make insurance more affordable. So I think states will continue to play a very critical role uh, now, especially given the lack of uh, the ability in the Congress to move forward with um, bipartisan solutions uh, that might make uh, things more affordable. So let me just ask, is there a particular state or in its state policy that you find uh that you can support or that your organization supports? Oh, sure. I mean, we support a lot of efforts at the state level. Again, you know, looking at the, the waivers, uh, what, what Minnesota did uh, for uh, reinsurance and making coverage, making coverage more affordable. Alaska, you know, others that are taking uh, novel approaches uh, in our backyard in the nation's capital. Uh, Maryland's taking a number of different approaches uh, to try and again address what's happening within their their particular markets, and I think we're going to continue to see states see what they can do again to to make uh, coverage options uh, more affordable within um, you know their authority. They see what's happening firsthand uh, on the ground with their citizens and residents, and uh, you know what the impact is if um, options are not affordable for their their residents, and you know a number of them are, are taking action action and looking at at novel uh, approaches. And I think that that's something that we're going to see continue for the uh, next couple of years. Okay, thank you. Let's uh, let's go to uh, this general issue after competition, and that is value. So this is generally defined as outcomes achieved relative to spending, and the insurance industry, or rather the healthcare industry. Uh, 
really does not do a very good job at measuring for value. For example, under Medicare fee-for-service, that payment is now governed by uh, 2015 macro legislation. Half of that is the merit-based incentive payment system. There are metrics that providers are measured against, quality measures, but also cost measures. But third, the two are not correlated. So um, I could extend the question to include you're seeing an increasing number of uh, self-insured employers, for example, uh, looking to buy uh, um, higher value products. So, for example, you may be aware Harvard just published a study uh, a few days ago providing an overview of the work uh, Walmart's been doing through its Centers of Excellence, basically episode or bundle payment contracts directly with providers and working with ACOs. But what's your general sense of industry efforts to actually improve efforts to measure for value and, and, and achieve a, a better return on uh, the spending? There are many efforts underway right now, particularly focused in the private sector on uh, paying for value and really evolving our healthcare system. You, know, you referenced, David, some of the efforts that are happening by CMS, and that's really on an old fee-for-service chassis. Um, health plans uh, are working collaboratively with providers. Uh, Medicare Advantage plans are a, a great example of, of ways that plans are working with providers to share more information, to share risk, to give um, you know, better alignment around incentives and to really pay based on value. And we see Medicare Advantage plans actually leading uh, and, and are quite far ahead of the fee-for-service program. Similarly, in the commercial market, I mean, there are many efforts between plans, providers, you know, working on behalf of employers to um, to go into whether these um, primary care, ACO, population health, and other models, um, really, again, to align incentives in a way. And I think that that's an area where we paid more attention to what's happening in government, and I would contend that government is behind what's happening in the private sector, um, and we should really be thinking about ways that we can build on what's happening um, between private plans and private uh, health care providers. Uh, you know, we haven't seen other sectors uh, sort of really catch up. So, for example, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is really just in its infancy in terms of thinking about value and value-based contracts. And, um, you know, plans and provisors, I'd say, are, are at the cutting edge there. We're also looking at things like how do you align um, quality metrics and, and making sure that, that we're really measuring what, what is important with respect to quality. And, and those are efforts that are happening collaboratively, again, between uh, plans. Uh, so AHIPS uh, working with CMS um, and the National Quality Forum on the uh, quality measures, yes. the, the quality measures, right? Because we want to figure out what works and what's really going to move the needle. Um, so there's a lot of positive things happening. I think you know, when we look back, say, five years from now, I think we're going to realize that we're, we've made a lot, a lot of progress compared to, to where we started from. Okay, thank you. Since you mentioned uh, the government leading and the phrase, of course, is Medicare is the market maker, let's, let me ask you specifically relative to um, privatized Medicare. This is the Medicare Advantage plans. This is Part C, of course who currently enroll now one-third of all Medicare beneficiaries, or about $20 million, and uh, the federal government reimburses MA plans uh, or MA organizations about $230 billion annually. Um, but here's the question. 
Despite quality efforts, MA is still a program that's designed as administratively priced. MA plans in aggregate are paid 100% of fee-for-service. So my question is, in light of the movement in Medicare fee-for-service to what we term pay-for-performance, episode or bundled payments, in fee-for-service, ACOs, what's your sense of how uh, should the MA plan evolve to uh, operate on the same formula uh, such that it actually scores savings? Well, I think you have to look at what you're getting in Medicare Advantage, you know, relative to what you get in fee-for-service. And I would contend that the value proposition of Medicare Advantage is is much stronger than what you see in fee-for-service. You mentioned, David, that total payments are about equivalent, about 100%. But when you look at what you get in Medicare Advantage, you get uh, a maximum out-of-pocket uh, limit. You don't need supplemental benefits that um, you need if you just are in the fee-for-service program, which is really still built on a 1960s, you know, indemnity plan chassis. There's good evidence out there to to show that the additional uh, average value-added services that a Medicare Advantage uh, customer gets uh, versus uh, traditional fee-for-service Medicare um, is well over a thousand dollars, and we've seen. Um, uh, innovative supplemental benefits offered under Medicare Advantage plans. Um, We've also seen data around lower inpatient costs and lower outpatient costs in in Medicare Advantage. So I think it's important to to compare apples to apples. And and really, there's there's not a lot of comparison between what you get under the standard uh, fee-for-service program versus uh, Medicare Advantage. Okay. We could could spend uh, hours on this uh, single issue, but let me let me go to um, uh, the future of the insurance, healthcare insurance industry. I saw in a, uh, I think you did an interview in the fall, and so this question is based on your comment then that uh, AHIP may be renaming itself because the insurance industry is evolving. So um, by way of that reality, with the movement towards placing providers at risk, um, again, uh, ACOs, bundled payments, direct. We're looking for a, a demo sometime in the next month from CMS, CMMI, direct direct provider contracting, much akin to what Walmart's been doing via its Centers uh, for Excellence. Um, so how do you foresee the insurance uh, uh, industry evolving uh, since, again, we're pushing most generally risk down to the provider? Yeah, it's a great question, David, and I think the insurance you know sector is among the most rapidly evolving areas, and we've seen, obviously, with uh, some of the large-scale uh, uh, acquisitions uh, that are vertically integrating across pharmacy providers, insurance, um, uh, you know, and other parts of the healthcare system. That I I think that that's a trend that we expect to continue, um, not just and it doesn't have to be large scale, but we see health systems. Uh, now that offer um, health insurance plans because they recognize that there can be a real beneficial and symbiotic relationship between offering a health plan and and, and operating a health system. Um, I think we'll see this evolve more quickly as we move to push risk more towards providers and leveraging the capabilities of of, of big data and technology um, and how we can actually get closer to 
um, closer to the patient over time. So I, I expect this to be a trend that will continue. I you know, can't tell you exactly how quickly it's going to evolve or you know, what that next big thing is going to be. But um, you know, when you look at the drivers of change in the U.S. healthcare system, you know, affordability crisis, the role of chronic disease and social determinants of health, you know, a bigger role for government, uh, consumerism, uh, we've covered uh, moving from volume to value, clinical inno- innovation and, and, and infra- information technology, right? All of these trends suggest that you need to find ways to better integrate across the continuum. And that's why I, th- I think that we're seeing uh, a lot of the developments that we are. So this blending of provider, as you just suggested, the provider and the insurer, in the Harvard uh, article I noted, and it's titled How Employers Are Fixing Healthcare, they cite a uh, Willis Towers Watson survey, and year over year, 17 over 18, 6 to 22% of self-insured employers said that they were moving to directly negotiate with providers. Um, so that begs the question, since providers are only able to, to move in this direction if they have some ability to manage financial risk, to what extent do you think the insurance industry is um, going to be more proactive in, you meant, we mentioned reinsurance, of course, but to what extent will the insurance carriers be more proactive in helping uh, providers manage their now uh, financial risk? I think right now there's there are a lot of different ways uh, that that plans are helping providers manage financial risk and you know it really starts with with good information and what's happening with the population that you're trying to serve so that you can understand what kind of actions and and interventions are going to make the most difference uh, lead to you know better outcomes uh, higher quality and and lower costs when you talk about some of the direct contracting provisions I think you know what's what's notable is that those tend to be uh, for you know finite knowable procedures not not all of them are but it's not for the entire bundle it's right. for you know really specialized whether it be knees hips hearts um, but there are certain things that that those types of arrangements going direct to provider uh, by the employer probably you're still going to need uh, a role for the insurer um, and again it, it'll come back to both um, negotiating uh, with those providers, but then then give, giving back you know better information so that you know you can make adjustments and improve things over time. So these would be wraparound. You're right; these uh, bundles or episodes are uh, DRGs, surgical procedures. They're discrete. Um, uh, there's still remaining the issue of ongoing continuum of care, primary care, etc. Okay, thank you. Let me let me ask a question that you may may not have been asked, and um, this gets at also uh, the future of the industry. Uh, and this, I think, is probably the uh, industry headwind of, of all headwinds. Um, what is the insurance industry doing to adapt uh, to climate change? You know that I, there are a lot of um, innovative efforts that are happening um, uh, by, particularly those companies that operate in areas affected by climate change, whether they be around the coasts, uh, in other areas of, uh, of the country, um, to really understand what is the impact of climate change on not just uh, how you live in your environment, but on health, and, and so and claims. whether it's. <laughs> 
Right. And yes. claims. No, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's towards moving more environmentally friendly ways of, uh, uh, of uh, delivering, um, you know, information, getting, uh, being more environmentally friendly, or just really, again, understanding, right, uh, as, as we focus more on chronic disease, social determinants of health, I mean, uh, environment uh, is a huge social determinant. Um, and really trying to, to figure out like what is going to make the biggest difference um, in terms of, of intervention. So it's a really great question and I think an area that we're going to be hearing a lot more about uh, in the coming years. Okay, let's, uh, for my last question and circling back to where we started, obviously there's much discussion uh, currently and we'll hear more of it next year as the presidential campaign uh, goes uh or ramps up, and that is uh, the Medicare for All debate. I can uh, imagine uh, uh, AHIP's, uh, easily imagine AHIP's perspective on this, but I'll leave you, I'll leave it to you uh, formally to give me at least your current read. Obviously, this is going to evolve this, however they, they calculate this relative to the financing. Um, but what's your general uh, uh, view uh, or understanding of, of it and AHIP's position? Sure. I mean, we expect this to be an ongoing debate and one that AHIP, um, you know, is gladly going to participate in. Uh, we think that, uh, you know, a move towards a Medicare for all system uh, would be enormously dif- disruptive and lead to um, higher costs in the long run, uh, longer wait times and, uh, you know, less satisfied customers. Uh, we want to see ways that we can improve what we have, whether it's making the individual market work more effectively, you know, continuing to expand the role of Medicaid, uh, and just thinking about the employer market, the role that Medicare for all would play in disrupting 180 million uh, individuals in the United States who have employer-sponsored coverage. You know, we think that that would be the wrong approach. So let's figure out how we fix uh, what we have and, and make things better with the Affordable Care Act and other parts of the healthcare system, you know, rather than go down that other path. And, and we're going to look forward to being uh, part of that discussion long-term. Thank you. So mentioning uh, Medicaid and state policies, I'll just note Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, New Jersey, Washington are all working uh, the numbers to see if they can create in their states a Medicaid buy-in program. But a follow-up on Medicare for All, I'm sure you're well aware the um, the Michigan member, uh, Senate member, has introduced a buy-in for, let's just say, adults 55 or older. The, the policy varies, could be as young as 50. I'm assuming you would have a similar response to that? I think we need to figure like what problem are we trying to solve with that right um i I think you know again, we want to figure out how do we improve the current system that we have. I don't know that a medicare buy in at fifty five is really going to improve you know the biggest problems that we have having a more effective uh and uh and affordable individual market uh by having you know a reinsurance program by getting um you know younger people to to sign up and for people to stay covered, I think would you know serve the same purpose. So I guess you have to ask the question again: What problem are you trying to solve? Um, and we want to make sure that we're solving uh, you know the, the the problems that we have today rather than creating new ones. Okay, thank you, Matt. I, I, if we had time, I'd, I wanted to get into the uh, the drug pricing issue, and then of course, uh, 
AHPs, with uh, health savings accounts. There's so many other issues I discussed. This is, I understand, about your one-year anniversary uh, at AHIP, so my congratulations, and I appreciate your time for uh, this brief discussion. And maybe, say, next year we get further down the road, or maybe we're in the presidential election, we can revisit uh, some of these issues. That would be great, David. Really appreciate the conversation today. Thank you again, Matt. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.